So we are in week number two of our series called Seek that we do every single year, and we devote this time of seeking God's face. At the first of the year, we give him our first and our best. And today, specifically, I'm so excited because we start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And like Pastor Josh mentioned uh, in his video, we have this guide, and I want to encourage you to pick this up because it's so important. Um, you can get this both physically in our lobby right here and also online and in the app. Uh, but pick this up, be part of it. Uh, maybe you're a fasting pro and you kind of know what you're doing. I want to encourage you, there's a 21-day devotional that's part of this as well. So be in unity with the rest of our church and, uh, and participate in that devotional. Um, we'd love for you to be part of that. And so, man, I'm excited to get into the Word of God today. If you want to bust open your Bible or your Bible app and turn to Galatians, uh, fifth chapter, we're going to jump into verse 17 this morning. And it says this, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you do not do whatever you want to do. And today in this sermon, I want to explore this tension that we walk in as believers as this between our spirit and our flesh because we all go through this battle every single day. And so I want to go through that today. The title of my message today is this, it's Habits and Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father God, we just welcome you in this place, and we're so glad that you're here with us, and we pray, pray that the Holy Spirit would just move right now throughout this whole place, that no one came here for me today, God, but we all came here for you. So we pray that you would speak to us today, Lord, that you would anoint my words and the things that I would say today, that they would go forth as pleasing to you, and God, we say thank you, and amen. So as Christians, when we become saved, we have the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. We know this is true, and we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you and whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, and therefore honor God with your bodies. We see again this tension between our bodies, which are not our own, and us being this temple, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, you know, we hear this all the time. Our flesh is weak. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Many of us went through this a lot through the holidays because you kept on walking past that dessert table going, no, I probably shouldn't. Yeah, I'm gonna, right? How many, um, come on, come on, guys. Who's, who's a sweetie like me? You want, you like your sweets? All right, there we go. So maybe, maybe you're the salty person. Maybe you like those salty, you got to get the chips. Come on, where's my chips people out there? Yeah, that's right. So, but we're called to honor God with our bodies, right? And this is actually a pretty hard instruction because we have this tension. We have this thing between our spirit and our flesh because our flesh doesn't want to honor God, but our spirit does. And so I wanted to bring you guys just this great big list of all these really great things that we could do to honor God with our body. And so I started looking through scripture and I came across this one from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he says this, Everything is permissible for me. Well, that's all. It's not a very, very short list. It's a, it's kind of everything. If everything is permissible, it's kind of confusing, isn't it? But I want to, I want to dive into this a little bit. So it says this, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. It repeats, but not, I will not be mastered by anything. Now, I just want to be clear that this scripture doesn't do away with any of the moral laws that we find in the Bible. 
this, Jesus said in Matthew chapter five that he came to fulfill the law, but not to abolish it. And so Paul in this scripture isn't doing away with any of the moral laws in the Bible. In fact, what I find interesting about this scripture is it's actually a conversation between the people of Corinth and Paul. It starts out like this. The people of Corinth say, everything is permissible for me. Paul, you came and you preached grace to us. We can do whatever we want because it's covered by grace, right? He says, but not everything is beneficial. And then they say, I feel like they say this pridefully, well, everything is permissible for me. And Paul's like, but I will not be mastered by anything. Because there's some things in your life that are not necessarily bad, but if you don't handle them properly, they can gain that mastery over your life. We see this with certain types of prescriptions. It's right there on the label. It says this, you know, be careful with this. This could be habit forming, right? It could create an addiction in your life if you're not careful with it. Properly used, it does its purpose. But if you treat it the wrong way, it becomes a problem. And so I love what my commentary and my, my study Bible says about this scripture. It reads like this. Things that are morally indifferent and not specifically forbidden by God's law may not be advantageous to the one who's practicing them. On the contrary, they may lead to evil habits. And an evil habit I wrote down like this says, an evil habit is anything that holds you its slave and exalts itself above God in your life. Now, we know that not all habits are evil habits, right? There's lots of really good habits. Like most of you this morning, hopefully got up and you brushed your teeth and you put on deodorant, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, thank you. <laughs> turn to your second choice and thank them too, right? We're all very grateful that you did that this morning. Hopefully most of you did. Um, but I want to talk about habits for a few minutes because I think habits are, are really important. And um, the statistics say that up to 70% of our waking behavior is actually habitual behavior. And habitual behavior is often something that happens unconsciously or on autopilot. It's just kind of things that we do. And so a significant part of what we do is made up of habits. So it's important that we understand the habits that we have, how to make new habits, and how to break the bad habits. So as we begin this new year, I mean, many of you have probably picked up this book, and, and there's some goal sections in there, and maybe you're filling that out, and some of the new goals that you want to have this year, maybe you're trying to make a couple of good habits or break some bad habits, and I encourage, hopefully, you're doing that. But as we're doing that, and so I wanted to bring some practical ideas of why we would do that. But also, I would, you know, habits don't seem very spiritual, right? And so why, why are we going to talk about these in church? You know, it, it seems like it's just a, a normal kind of boring physical part of everyday life. And so, so why would we talk about that? And Pastor Josh said this last week, and it was really, it's kind of foundational to our Seek series this month. And it's this, it says, physical obedience always brings spiritual breakthrough. And so I want to tell you guys a little story about this man who, like many of us do, was praying to God one day and he said, God, can you show me your plan for my life? Will you show me where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do? Will you lead me into your goodness, into the things that you want me to do? And God gave him this vision of this beautiful forest. And in this beautiful forest was this nice glade in this field. And within this field, there was a pond. And there's this beautiful wildlife all around. It was restful, peaceful, beautiful. The sun is shining in. And he's like, oh, yeah, that looks great. I want to I wanna go there. I want what you want for me, God. And so 
he sets off on a journey. He's hiking through the woods and he's looking all over and he's, he's finding nice places. And this looks like a nice place, but no, no, that's not it. It doesn't look like what's in my, what God put in my heart. And he keeps on looking and searching. And then, and then finally he comes to the field. He's like, this is it. This is where my heart belongs. And he's looking at this field and it's beautiful, but he realizes something's missing. There's no, there's no pond. There's, the, there's wildlife missing. There's, there's, there's things that are missing in this. And so he's like, all right, God, I know this is where you're leading me, but it doesn't quite look how I expected. And so he gets down on his knees and he prays, God, would you show me, God, what it is you're, what I need to do in this place? Will you, God, will you, will you lead me, guide me? Will you come into fruition what it is, the vision that you placed in my life? And when he stands up from praying, he sees this. There's a shovel right in front of him. He's like, oh, that's kind of neat. I wonder what I'm, what I'm, I wonder what I'm going to do with a shovel. And so he gets back down on his knees and he's like, God, thank you so much for providing me with a shovel. Thank you so much for giving me this beautiful place. Lord, your word says, whatever I ask of you, I can have. And so Lord, I'm praying for this pond. Lord, will you please give me this pond and all of the beautiful things that, that you, that you promised me in this vision. And he stands up from praying again and there's a shovel. And the point of this message is like, is this, is that God isn't going to provide you a shovel and then ask you to pray for a hole. He expects you to pick up the shovel and get to work. Oftentimes God will give us a vision and then God will give us provision for the vision. And it's our job to steward that. And so the stewardship of our physical bodies and our habits is important and I do believe has spiritual consequences. And so John Maxwell says this, he says, I can predict the long-term outcome of your success if you show me your daily habits. And so what exactly is a habit? If we're going to talk about it, let's define it. So a habit is a routine behavior that is, repeatedly, is repeated regularly and tends to occur subconsciously. So we often do it, like I said, on autopilot. Habits are learned both consciously, so while you're awake and while you're paying attention, and also unconsciously, just while you're kind of going about your day, you can develop habits. So what habits would new habits form? How do we go about this? So during habit formation, there's kind of two different ways you can look at this. One of them is a psychological way, and one of them is a biological way, and they actually work together. Psychologically, when we form new habits, we look at it, again, in one of two ways. One of them is a goal-based habit, meaning like, all right, this year, I'm going to drink eight glasses of water a day because that's what I need for good hydration. And that's a good goal, right? But it's a goal-based habit. The other one is an identity-based habit. And the way you look at an identity-based habit is you go, I'm going to get enough hydration. I'm going to drink plenty of water today because I'm a healthy person. Your identity is a healthy person then drives the new habit versus just a goal of something to do. And the second, the identity-based habit is actually preferred when you're trying to create a new habit. So I'll encourage you in that. Um, what else? A new habit. How long does it take to make a new habit? 21 days is what a lot of common literature says. And that's true. It can take 21 days to create a new habit. But also, uh, there's a very interesting study that showed that it took anywhere from 18 to 254 days to create this very excruciating habit that took people so much work and effort to do that it was so hard it took them over 200 days to complete. What was it? Taking a walk after dinner. It doesn't seem very hard, does it? But at the same time, it takes everybody different amounts of time to do different things. Tanya and I started taking walks last summer after dinner. 
and we did it fairly regularly for a little while, but I tell you, we're probably on the back end of this 200 some odd days of getting this habit formed. But, and, and also the weather doesn't help either. Who wants to go walk in the snow? But, so we, we, we started it, but we're doing okay. So what's the difference maker when you're trying to make a new habit, right? Because there's lots of different habits. There's lots of different things. What, what do you have to actually do when you overcome, when you create something new in your habit? And I want to introduce you guys to a concept that you probably haven't heard before because it's not common in most of the literature, but it's a really interesting thing. And it was developed by Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist and a professor at Stanford. So he's a pretty smart guy. And he has what's called the Huberman Labs podcast. And he developed this idea called limbic friction. And limbic friction is the strain that's required to overcome. It's the amount of effort that it takes for you or the energy to do something. And so limbic friction is kind of defined this way. It's in a discussion or an argument between two parts of your brain. There's the limbic system, which is kind of towards the back. And the limbic system is your reactionary sort of primal uh, system that kind of is your initial reaction to something. It's your fight or flight. And this system is focused on the right here and right now. And the other part of this is your forebrain or your prefrontal cortex. And this is the rational decision-making part of your brain. This is the one that takes memory and information and makes informed decisions. And it's the tension between these two things, the conversation, that's called limbic friction. And that's the process of going from I don't want to do something to actually doing it. And one of the ways this happens in my life has been a new habit I've been working on. It's called deliberate cold exposure. And deliberate cold exposure, if you're not familiar with what that is, that means you take your body and you put it into something very cold very quickly. And for me, that looks like a cold shower in the morning. And so in the morning, when I'm standing there looking at this cold shower, I am going high limbic friction. I don't want to get into this shower because it's not fun, right? And so I have to overcome getting into the shower. So that's step one of, of getting over this limbic friction. And then my limbic system in the back goes, whoa, because it's really cold. You want to jump out. And so there's this next step of limbic friction of overcoming to get in it because the front of my brain says, you know that this is a good thing for you because it helps you with your energy and your attention and your focus through the day. It does lots of good things. Now, I'm not prescribing deliberate cold exposure to anyone. If you're interested in that, and most of you probably aren't, but if you are, you can come and talk to me or look, up, look it up. It's a really interesting thing. It does a lot of good things for the body if you're healthy and able to do that. Um, not saying that anyone's unhealthy. It's just you need to it, – it can be dangerous if your body's not prepared for it. And so I don't want anyone to just kind of start taking cold showers or jump into the cold lake because Doug said so. All right? Everybody, everybody okay with that? So – how should we go about habit formation? Because there's like, there's so many methods. There's thousands of books and all different ways of how to form a habit, right? I mean, you've probably seen it. There's podcasts. It's en un endless ways of how to form a new habit or break a habit. And so I want to hit on a couple of things that are foundational to all habit formation or breaking. Things that if we have these in our lives, that they will help with all of these things. And so I want to talk about one of these things first, and it is this. It is getting good sleep. Can I get an amen from my people who love sleep out there? Come on, amen. So Psalm 127.2 says this, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for bread to eat, for he gives sleep to his beloved. God values rest. 
God values sleep. He values rest so much that when he created this world on the seventh day of creation, he rested. Now, God didn't get tired. He wasn't out of energy. He didn't need a a nap to, to recharge for the day. He knew that we would get tired and we needed a model of resting. And so God wrote this into the very fabric of creation. You need to rest. He also wrote it on stone. In the Ten Commandments, he said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Resting is important to God. As Americans, we do a bad job with this. 35% of the U.S. population gets less than the recommended seven hours of sleep each night. I don't know what happened to the other hour, that eighth hour that they used to tell us to get, but I think we were just like doing so bad at that, they just bumped the stat back. Like maybe they can get seven hours, I don't know. Get this one, this one's crazy. Only 3% of teenagers get the recommended eight to 10 hours of sleep they need a night. So if you're a, a young person in this room, get good sleep. Your body, your brain, it's all developing and it needs that sleep. Since 1985, the percentage of adults getting less than six hours per, of sleep per night has increased by 31%. It's going the wrong way. We're not doing a good job getting enough sleep and getting enough rest. Why is this important? Why is sleep important? Many of us, you know, the inherent reasons of why sleeping is important. It helps with energy. It helps with being ready for the next day and all of those things. But there's some things inside your body that happen as well. When you're sleeping and sleeping well, your body is detoxifying. There's a lot of things in your body that need to work through your body that only happens while you're sleeping. Also, if you don't get enough sleep, what happens? The opposite of that then happens. You wake up in the morning and you want what? You need stimulant, you need caffeine, you need sugar, you need something to keep you going, get you going through the day. And so now you're, not only are you not detoxifying well, but then you're adding more things that are not good to your life. And then of course we know you're less alert, less productive throughout the day. On the opposite of that, what happens when you get enough sleep, right? Most of us know the inherent effects of that as well. You feel good, you feel rested, you're alert, right? Your body is then able to remove those toxins and rejuvenate itself. And then when you get good deep sleep, that's actually when your brain is processing all the things that you did and putting it into memory. And so if you're working on habits, if you're working on these types of things, and you really want to get those things set in well, having good sleep will help your memory actually imprint those good new habits that you've been working so hard on. So how do you get good sleep? So some of these things are fairly obvious. One of them is you need to prepare for sleep, actually. You don't want to be running through your whole day and get to the end of the day and then all of a sudden say, you know, I got to crash. I got to get in bed, right? You need to prepare for sleep. You need to prepare your day in a way where you can get restful even before you get in bed. And so that might mean you need to go to bed earlier. You might need to shift some things around in your life so that way you've got enough time to get enough sleep to where you can get that recommended seven to eight hours before you wake up. It's important. So you might need to go to bed earlier. Other things you can do is bright lights in the evening. These lights would be bad (laughs) if you're trying to fall asleep. I'm very awake right now. Um, But bright lights at night, the the interesting thing about bright lights is it will actually eliminate the naturally naturally occurring melatonin that's in your body when you're trying to get sleepy. So when you're getting sleepy at night and you expose yourself to bright lights, you're actually destroying that melatonin that should be putting you to sleep because melatonin is a good chemical in your body that does that for you. So right along those same lines is limiting or eliminating looking at screens later in the evening. Um, 
Try not to eat too close to bed because then your metabolism fires up. Um, do some calming activities. Guys, you need to take a bath with lavender and Epsom salts every night and you will sleep well, I promise you. Ladies, you might want to try that too. But men, for sure, do that. Um, read a book. Preferably something nonfiction because fiction can be something that actually like really pulls you in and gets your attention and really good fiction really draws you in, right? Maybe read your Bible before bed. How restful might your sleep be if the last thing that goes into your brain before you try to fall asleep is God's holy scripture? Maybe that's where you put this read the Bible in a year program into your daily habit is right before you go to bed and that creates good sleep in your life. So, and then on the other side of that, avoid stimulating activity late at night. So exciting movies, exciting television, things like that, stuff that's going to, you know, fiction books, stuff that's going to like draw you in and really get your attention. If you can eliminate some of those things in the later part of your day, it's going to help you be restful when you get to the end of the day. Another really helpful program, which comes again from Dr. Huberman, um, and you can find this in some of his podcasts, is the Huberman Lab Habits Program. And I want to describe this to you because it's a really sort of interesting way to kind of look at how you lay out your day. And the way this, this program works is it works with the natural rhythms of your body and your brain as you go through what's called the circadian rhythm of the day, the 24-hour cycle. And so if you look at your very first part of the day, which is zero to eight hours after waking, your body and brain are going to be more action-oriented during this time. You're going to be more likely to be able to overcome that limbic friction to create a new habit, to do something difficult. And so those first eight hours are going to be beneficial to you to try and get something done that way. Phase two is from nine to 15 hours after waking, and your body is less action-oriented at this way. You've got lower levels of adrenaline and things like that, and so your body, you know, try to do things during this part of the day that require a little bit less focus. And then phase three of your day is 16 to 24 hours after waking, which we use for what? Sleeping. This is when you should be asleep, is, is for that last eight hours of the day. And so if you kind of set up your day in a way that uses this rhythm, phase one, phase two, phase three, your ability to overcome that limbic friction, the possibility of you creating new habits increases because you're working with some of the natural rhythms of your body. Now, let's say your work schedule doesn't allow you to sleep on the normal rhythms. Maybe you work second shift, third shift. Maybe you've got little kids at home who wreck your sleep and you maybe you just have a hard time sleeping or you travel a lot, <clears throat> you know, and you can't have those normal sort of rhythms. Um, I want to point you to another uh, resource from uh, Dr. Huberman, and it's the Huberman Labs podcast, which is episode number four. And it's called Find Your Temperature Minimum to Defeat Jet Lag, Shift Work, and Sleeplessness. So check out that episode. I'm not going to dig into any of those details, but there's a lot of really interesting things that you can use in part of from that podcast that will help you get the right amount of restfulness and sleep in your life, even when you're working some of those odd habits and schedules. And so uh, one other resource, just real quick is this one right here. This is a book that I really enjoy. This is called Atomic Habits. It's by James Clear. And uh, this is uh, Tiny Changes and Remarkable Results, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. And there's a lot of really good stuff in here. It's simple. It's easy to understand. It's not nearly as deep and complex as some of the Huberman lab stuff. And he doesn't talk about limbic friction or any of those kind of weird things. But 
Um, but this is a really good book. And so if, if you're trying to make, break, form new habits this year and you need a good resource, this is a good book. And so I would recommend that one to you. And so really we've been talking a lot about forming good habits. But what about breaking the bad habits? I want to go back to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, where he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. I want to look at this, not everything is beneficial, because I think there are certain habits in your life that I would categorize as a non-beneficial habit. Something like maybe you bite your fingernails or you twirl your hair. Maybe you're like me and you constantly chew gum. You just need to have something, that oral fixation, right? Maybe you have a really odd habit. Maybe you put your socks on in the morning before you put your underwear on. That's a weird one if that's you. I don't, don't, don't tell me about it, right? Maybe you crack your knuckles. That's, you know, crack your joints, crack your knuckles. Uh, Andrew over here would tell you that's a bad idea. It's not good for your joints. Um, maybe you're the kind of person who saves something that you will never, ever use. You just stash it away. I'm never going to use that thing, but I'm just, I'm going to save it. I might need it someday. That's also me, by the way. <laughs> but non-beneficial habits are usually within our ability to change, right? Through one of these great processes, you can kind of come up with a way to stop biting your fingernails or twirling your hair or whatever. Those things, they're, they're, it's a non-beneficial habit. It's not really helping you. It's not really hurting you per se. So I want to focus on this second half of verse 12 where Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. This is a faith statement. It's a statement of intent. Because he doesn't say, I can't be mastered by anything. Because we all know this, our flesh is weak, we can be mastered by things. But he's saying, no, no, everything is permissible. I'm not going to be mastered by something. I'm, I'm setting that up. It's a, it's a stake in the ground in my life. It's intent. It's faith. And so what's it mean to be mastered by something? Because as much as we might have that great intention of I'm not going to be, sometimes we do. Some of these bad habits that hold us their slave look like substances, drugs, alcohol can hold us their slave. What about pornography, overeating, consuming too much entertainment, shopping, Scrolling away the hours in our social media or a couple of other things that no one necessarily sees. Procrastination, narcissism, gossiping, habitual lying. These bad habits or evil habits, as we might call them, can take the place of God and become an idol in our life. And then they become a master over us. And Paul tells us not to let anything be master over you besides, obviously, God. And so these things, they steal our time, our talent, and our treasure. We can have all of these self-help books, all of the protocols, all of the processes, all of the, the things that we know how to do, all of the good ideas, and we can work really hard at those things, and then we can turn right around and walk right back into these things that hold us as, their, as a slave. This addiction that we just can't figure out how to break. We've tried so hard, but we just can't figure out how to do it on our own. This habit, it just has a hold of us. Maybe you've been stuck in a cycle of sin and shame for a long time. How do we, how do we get out of that type of thing? So Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, 
No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so what it says here is that the Bible and the things in the Bible won't make us righteous, but they reveal to us some of the errors that we we have. Going on in verse 22, it says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a human condition that we all have. But all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through no work of our own can we be saved and set free from our sin. We don't have the power or what it takes to break certain things off of our lives. It can only happen with a relationship through Jesus. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, thank God, (laughs) but to save the world through Jesus, through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. We're powerless without Jesus. So listen, I gotta I gotta stop the sermon for a minute because I gotta I gotta talk to you guys for a minute about this lordship of Jesus in our lives. Because this is so important. This is the cornerstone of our faith. And we're powerless without Jesus to do anything. And so I need to give you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life right now. Because if he's not, none of none of none, anything else I say won't matter. And so I want everyone just to bow their heads right now. And we're going to take a minute. And I just want you to, to just dwell for a moment. And, and if, if something's tugging on your heart right now, if, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And we're all going to pray together. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. Um, but we find in Romans some instructions in this scripture about what to do when we... Um, when we pray to get saved. And it says that when we confess to the Lord, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord, that, and that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And that is in our heart that we believe and we are justified. And with your mouth that you profess that we are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we're going to do that right now. We're all going to pray together. But if this is you, if, if Jesus needs to be Lord of your life right here, right now, I encourage you to pray this and mean it and accept God and Jesus into your heart. So let's all pray this together. Say, God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came and died for me. I believe that you raised your son, Jesus, from the dead. And by his blood, paid the price to forgive my sin. I declare that Jesus is Lord of my life. I will serve no other God but you. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just give a quick round of applause? It says in scripture that heaven celebrates when even just one comes to know the Lord and comes into the kingdom. And so I'm so proud of you if you made that. Uh, decision this morning. And even online, if you made that decision today or or watching this back at any other time, I'm so proud of you for doing that. And at the end of service, 
Our prayer team would love to meet you and get you a free resource that's going to teach you about some of the next steps in the walk of your faith and and being a Christian. And so I want to offer that to you. It's free. If you go down after service, you can meet with them. And if you're online, if you're watching, there's a number on your screen right now. If you text prayer to that number on your screen, we would love to send you that book as well. And so I encourage you to do that. And so, all right, we can can keep going now. All right, we're going to jump back into Galatians chapter 5. This time, verse 1, and it says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Burdened again? Like, who would choose to put it back on? Like, why, why would we choose to put slavery back on ourselves? But you can. Why, why, why would this happen? Because it's this tension. It's this, as we read in Galatians 5, 7, it is for the, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and what is con- the spirit is contrary to the flesh, right? It's this tension that we've all dealt with. And so that's how you can put something back on yourself is because we're constantly in this tension. I thank God that John 16, 33 says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we need to not put slave, slavery back on, right? So listen, I want to back up one scripture in Galatians to 5.16. It says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the key to chapter 17 that comes right after it. That says not to, that we have this tension, right? And so how is it that we walk by the Spirit? What are some of the things that we need to do to, to, to walk by the Spirit. And some of these things are the obvious things. We need to pray more. We need to be a people of prayer. Guys, we need to be praying every single day. Like, like prayer is so powerful. It's, it's so simple and we just miss it so often. And so I want to encourage you, pray. We've got 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's so important. Reading your word, be in your Bible. Worship, like we all did here this morning, we worshiped congregationally. I want to encourage you, you can do that at home. Do it by yourself. Do it in the car. When I used to work service, I used to sit in my truck driving 30, 45 minutes to wherever I was going with worship music on. And that was my sanctuary. I just loved being in the presence of God while I drove. It doesn't matter exactly where you are. You can be worshiping God. And on that point, what's actually really cool about prayer and fasting in 21 days, the season that we're in, is that while we're doing it, we are in constant worship to God, this entire fast. Isn't that cool? What else? We need to, like it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that we read, says we need to honor God with our body. So we grow spiritually when we deny our flesh and we feed our spirit. Fasting has this compounding effect because we do both of these things at the same time. We are both denying our flesh and we're feeding our spirit at the same time. And so, like Pastor Josh says, physical obedience always brings spiritual breakthrough. So I want to ask you, what breakthrough do you need? What do you need to bring before God in this season of fasting that we're in right now? What breakthrough do you need? Lay it out. Ask God. If you, if you don't know, maybe you don't even know. Maybe you feel like everything's in good shape. Ask God, God, what needs to break off of me in this season? Because chances are pretty good there's something that's probably hiding in your blind spot that God would like to reveal to you. I'll close with this. Last summer, 
I was going through this season in my life where I had some questions about my, really, I mean, it was, it was most of last year, but it really kind of came to a head in, in summertime where I was, I was praying and seeking God and felt like he was kind of leading me towards some things, but I had some questions about it and I didn't really know like the, the, the plan, the steps. I didn't have the end of the book yet. You know, oftentimes we want the end of the book before we kind of go into the next chapter, right? It's like, God, just show me the end before I get to the next thing, right? But that's not, that's not how life works. And so, yeah, right? Pick up the shovel. <laughs> and, so, and so I was, I was getting into this with God, and, and, but I was getting to this point where I was just, I was almost getting immobilized. Like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, couldn't take any steps forward in, in, because I didn't have kind of the answer of what was next. in in this, what I was trying to figure out. And so I'm praying to God and I'm like, God, it's like something, something has to change. It's like, I'm stuck in this spot. And I just, I feel like I'm just confused. It's like an oppression, like a spirit of confusion was just resting on me. And I just, I I didn't know what to do about it. And I'm like, God, it's like, something has to change here. Will you please change the situation or will you change me? but something has to change. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking with Tanya, my wife, and, and talking to her about some of these things and, and, and really felt God just put on my heart. It's like, you need to fast for seven days, prayer, you know, fast and pray. And so, you know, we called that a fast and a prayer in our life between, you know, my wife and I, and we, we did that. And it was a personal time for us where we fasted and prayed for seven days. But I can tell you that through that obedience, through that fasting, that heaviness, that spirit of confusion broke off of me. Now, I didn't get the end of the book. I didn't get all of the answers. I still don't have the answers to some of the things I've been praying to God about. But that's okay because I'm obedient. I'm, being, I'm moving forward. I'm, t- I'm taking, as Pastor Josh says, do the next right thing. And so I'm doing that next right thing, even though I don't know what's at the end of the book. And, and that's okay. But God broke that off of me. So I'm telling you, there's breakthrough that comes through obedience, denying your flesh, flesh and fasting. And as you are denying your flesh and feeding your spirit, I believe that you will grow spiritually. And when you grow spiritually, that produces fruit. And we read about the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter five, now in verse 22, it says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We've denied our flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we see that modeled here, denying the flesh, feeding the Spirit, and it produces fruit, right? The term self-control as it is in the Bible, is translated from the word temperance, which comes from a Greek word, two Greek words, actually. The first is en, and the second is kretos. And you compound those, and you turn them, make them into one word, which is how they're written in Scripture, you get the word enkretea. And this word enkretea literally means in control, and it denotes power over oneself. Now, this isn't like, man, I'm strong, I can do anything, I'm a manly man, I can do it. This is a supernatural self-control that grows in your life when you're obedient to the Holy Spirit. I love what Rick Renner says 
he says it this way about that word in one of his books. It says, because the Holy Spirit has produced temperance in a person's life, they are able to say no to overeating, no to overindulging in fleshly activities, no to any excess in the physical realm. A person with temperance maintains a life of moderation and control. The word enkrtea means, or temperance, could thus be translated as restraint, moderation, discipline, balance, temperance, or self-control. When you obediently deny your flesh and feed your spirit, the Holy Spirit will produce supernatural self-control in your life, a temperance that is what we actually need to break the bad habits, the evil habits, the addictions that are in our life, they only break through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need that in our lives. So in this season of fasting, I want to encourage you, and it might be hard at times, that you're going to feel the hunger pangs if you're fasting something, food, of course. But you're going to feel the pains of whatever it is that you're denying to your flesh. Your flesh is not going to want to do it. And through obedience, you will. And if you make a mistake, that's okay. Just keep going. But sometimes it just feels really hard. And we feel weak. And so I want to encourage you with 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power, is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that way Christ's power may rest on me. Friends, we don't have to be the strong ones in this. God's power is perfect, made perfect in our weakness. It's in our weakness and our obedience that God's power shows through us. And so I want to encourage you, even as the couple of weeks might get kind of long and hard and going through this fasting season, keep with it. God has a grace for you through this whole season. Let me pray for you. So Father God, we just thank you right now for your grace. That grace that overflows us, that grace that holds us up when we are weak. And so Father, we just submit ourselves to you right now Say, work through us. Lord, as we fast, as we pray over these next 21 days, God, we just pray that you would move in power. And right now, I just pray that anyone in this room who needs a deliverance or a breakthrough, God, that you would just move in power over their lives. And anyone who's watching online or in the future, I pray over them as well right now that your power would flow out into them right now, right now, and breakthrough would happen. And so, Father, we thank you for today. God, I pray a blessing over every individual who's under the sound of my voice right now and that they would go forth in your power, in your temperance, and that you would be glorified in everything we do. All God's people said amen and amen.